Welcome back, everybody. Brian Tuck here, your host for Creator Confidential. Today we are talking Mandalorian Chapter 5, which is entitled The Gunslinger. This, in my opinion, probably should have been called The Rookie, but that's that's just me. You may have a different opinion, and that's totally cool. If you have anything you want to say, if you want to be heard on this show, please DM me through the Facebook page or through Instagram the podcast is on Twitter also, and uh, we'll work out a way to get a recording of you to be incorporated on future episodes. Today, I'm joined again by musician Dave Below and Philadelphia area comedian Dan Bradley, and uh, we get into it, and I hope you guys enjoy this. Please like or subscribe on whatever platform you may be checking this podcast out on. And that would be a huge boost and much appreciated. So, Chapter 5, Mandalorian, The Gunslinger. Here we go. You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more... Visit TuckLaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. Okay, we're back to talk Mandalorian again. This is our show within a show. We're definitely in uh, waist deep in pop culture territory today. I'm joined by rock and roll drummer extraordinaire Dave Below from Detroit, Michigan, and comedian and global icon from Philly, which really is the home of rock and roll, if you ask me. Dan mm-hmm. Bradley. How you doing, boys? Good. How are you? Oh, another week. Another week. <laughs> <laughs> so you're excited. Wait, isn't, Philly, isn't Philly more the home of like uh, R&B white boy soul? Well, not just white boy, but isn't it? Well, there, I'm not there, arguing it. I'm just wondering if... No, I was. There, uh, there were there was a, a record label here, uh, Gamble and Huff, and they they produced they produced a ton of hit songs back yeah. way way back you know fifties sixties seventies like pre Hall and Oates pre um, you know pre you know before the eighties that that had was a life of its own. And it, out of, what's that? Oh, go ahead. Was Chess Records out of Philly or was that Chicago? The I, blues label. It, I uh, it was not Philly. Oh, okay. But but yeah, they had. I mean, they had a, they had quite a lot of legitimate hit songs that came out of that studio. And this oh, was yeah. they didn't rival, like it did not rival Motown in scope. But it was it was in the same neighborhood. Mm. We should do a podcast about that. Like we should nerd out about music and city vibes and genres and stuff. I think we'd have that'd be fun. I yeah. think we can. I think we can do that. that Sounds amazing. amazing. Um, so, back to our Mandalorian thread, and thanks for sticking with us, everybody. And we uh, should do some business here first. If you're, if you enjoy this, please share this episode with a friend or two or more friends. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You name it. Uh, basically every platform we can get this on. I'm working on getting this on TuneIn Radio as well. Hopefully we'll have that happening soon. Pinterest and, too? What's that? 
<laughs> I, I, that list was like really impressive. I was like, it's Pinterest and uh, Pinter- man, everything is so fragmented now. It's it, it would be so yeah. much easier if there was one platform where everyone, yeah. like, I mean, I know it's great that there's all these outlets and stuff, but in terms of trying to get, um, in terms of trying to just publish stuff, you get your stuff out, yeah. You got it. You have to jump through all of these hoops, and half of them are are not necessary. But, but in any event, we're all over the place. Is the point? Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram or on Facebook as well. And today we are talking Chapter Five of The Mandalorian, which is entitled "The Gunslinger." So yes, this was this again. This was quite a different vibe than the chapter that preceded it. And the nostalgia factor was absolutely through the roof. Oh, yeah. And they did it in a very, very clever way. Um, Yeah. And and Dave, why don't you you set us up? Okay. So um, the – let me think. I'm trying – I just had it on. Um, He – okay. So it starts out with – Mando's in space and he's getting chased by somebody who I think, and can you guys confirm this? Is it Bill Burr, the comedian that is in that other ship? Because I've heard that Bill was going to be in the Mandalorian somehow. And um, anyway, so this other bounty hunter, he's uh, we got a dog fight in space, laser fights in space, as I called it when I was eight. And uh, they're chasing each other. And this guy is trying to catch Mando to get the child. And uh, we've got a really great, dog fight and the guy's almost on him and Mando pulls the, the, uh, the, the, the classic maneuver like Luke on the speeder bikes on Endor, hit the brakes, let the other guy overshoot and then get him in your sights and take him out. And, uh, not to spoil it, but you know, uh, there's a great one liner and then another one liner to answer it that just, you know, seals the deal of coolness. Um, but we've got Mando's ship is, um, Uh, got damaged and so he's got to land on the nearest planet to get fixed and we find out that it's Tatooine hooray hooray and we get all of these wonderful reverential uh, goose bumpy as I call it uh, easter eggs of when he's landing on Tatooine because it it, it just it's such a great build-up because as he's coming into the planet and you see the horizon of the planet through his visor and you're like wait that 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 beige color in those wispy clouds that looks very familiar. And he get down and he talk he he talks to the comport and he flies into Tatooine. And then when we realize where he's actually gonna land, one of my favorite things is they they took that, they must have taken the original mat shot of the cliff where Luke and Obi-Wan and the droids are standing overlooking Moss Eisley for the first time, and Mando flies right by that outcropping and then the next shot is him flying towards Moss Eisley which is the same view that you would see from that outcropping so it's just like oh all the Star Wars nerdery touchy feelies are kicking in and one of my favorite things and Brian I told you about this earlier uh, or the other day my daughter who's nine um, is picked out an Easter egg that I was so proud of her because I totally missed it Mando comes in in one of those super cool like looking up shots and you're you're in one of the Moss Eisley spaceport round circular landing pads and you watch the ship come in and do a nice glory shot coming in and landing did you guys catch this 
when he lands, when the ship is finally settling just like three to four feet above, and there's a uh, there's the hot kind of um, heat displacement blurry o- um, oasis kind of thing going on from one of his jets. Mm-hmm. If you lo- if you look at the jet closest to the camera, it is exhaling vapor and what and they made the Rebel Alliance Phoenix symbol in that vapor. It's awesome. Wait, what? You <laughs> noticed da- this? Your daughter my noticed daughter. this? Holy my God. daughter. She was like, we were, yeah, we were talking about it. And I went, I was like, wait, what? And I went back and like, I didn't even, cause I was just watching the ship and she's like, oh yeah. She's like the, the, the rebel Alliance symbol was in there. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, when I went back and it's there, it's like the, it's it, the, the vapor's coming down and it's like, it's the, so it, it's, it's aiming down from the jet to buffer the landing. And so it's, it's, there's like smoke and vapor curling up. And if you look, you will see the rebel that like, it's like, you know, like the, the, cre- the bottom crescent with the little thing in the middle and it's kind of wavering. I tried to take a snapshot of the picture, but you have to see it in action because not one frame perfectly looks it. But if you look at it, you'll see it. And I was like, whoa, she whoa. should be so, a, she should be a criminal investigator or, or, or something with that kind of something. eye for detail. Good Lord. Yeah. She, yeah. She's ner- like, I, I, that was one of those, Oh my God, she really is my daughter. And I was like, Oh, so <laughs> that's a fun one, but so, I, yeah. So cool landing. And then, um, so he pulls in for repairs and, uh, so now we're like, Oh wow, he's on Tatooine. What do we get to see on Tatooine now? And the first thing is, um, uh, a prequel, um, a prequel callback. We see those little uh, pit droids from the pod race, and the ones that uh, Anakin, were, little Anakin, would work with that uh, have a little eyeball that you punch, and he told Jar Jar to punch to turn them off. And um, Amy Sedaris, the great comedian, comedian and actress, comes out in her jumpsuit and awesome uh, Ripley from Aliens perm, which yeah. I loved, yeah. and. Uh, uh, he's like, give me some repairs. And then he walks into town and one one of you guys take it since I just ran with it. <laughs> well, let's, let's back, let's back up a little bit. I, okay. so if you do it right, the setting is just as much a character in any TV show or, or film or, or play as, as the people are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think back to a lot of, you know, if you have a favorite city, for example, you know, and you see that city prominently featured in a film, you know, you tend to be more, uh, more, you know, more, uh, have more affinity for that movie. So like, you know, if you're a fan of New York, for example, you've got a ton of movies where like Nora Ephron does this really well, where the city is not just the setting, but it kind of is a character as well. So, so what you avoid by doing this, the way, the way they, brought Tatooine back and most Eisley specifically you don't have to worry about the original actors aging or looking different or you know bringing back some you know a, a character from one of the legacy the original trilogy movies you've got the setting so all of a sudden you're back in the same uh you know you're back in the same feel of of some of the original stuff for a minute and when it goes by so quickly at the beginning. You didn't even, I didn't even realize that's where we were until he lands. And when he's in, as he's approaching the planet, the person that he's talking to says, most likely, most likely tower control, you're cleared 
I didn't even realize I didn't put two and two together until he actually puts the ship on the ground. I'm like, holy crap, this is the same. Uh, looks looks really familiar. Yeah, yeah, and and, and when and when that Moss Eisley control came over the com link it like it wasn't even that loud which was you just know they were sitting in the edit suite going no no don't make it obvious just let you know just let it happen don't call attention to it let it reveal itself for as people see it which it's, it's just one of those tasty things and then even when they were landing and what was it uh he he got docking bay was it 35 i think yeah. and so my, my yeah. brain was immediately like what did, okay where did they meet han and the falcon wasn't it 64 or 54. And I, so I still have to look it up, but it, I, I, I was like, Oh, is it going to be the same? You know, uh, you know, but I'm like, Nope, that's too obvious. That would be, that would be too serving. So I love the fact that they might not have, you know, maybe it was next door. It's just, I don't know. I loved it. I love those kind of shots. It was, it was just enough of a, of a fan service to not become obnoxious, you know? Yes. Thank you, Dan. That was a perfect fan service. I was trying to think of that a word for that concept. Thank you. Perfect. So, the the other main character and one of the main characters in this episode is the mechanic at the bay and she comes out and immediately i thought boy this person looks really familiar she's disguised a little bit but it was she's such a pro amy sedaris that she just chews up every scene she's in she just can't help it you know what i mean she's just so good and immediately she takes the takes the focus away from the main character and and everything else that's happening and you're just paying attention to what you know as she's going over the ship and kind of eyeing eyeing this guy up to see how much she can charge him for for the repairs which as you know is in her calculation as she's kind of uh mentioning things that are that have been damaged on the on the ship it was pretty comical so i was gonna say have you guys seen strangers with candy Strange, back I know of it, but I've never really dove into it. But I think I might now after, after this. Yeah, yeah, highly Same. recommended. That's all. Yeah. I listened to her Mark Marin uh, podcast a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed listening to them talk. I've always liked her. I like like Brian said. I need to d- deep dive more into her stuff. Because yeah. I know I'd like it. I, w- one of the things I liked during that scene that you mentioned, Brian, is um, there, like when I watched the show. Um, I had this kind of running uh, sticky note in my head of all of the little Star Wars references that they that they that seem to get sprinkled in to to remind you that kind of ties everything together. And when she was looking over the ship and she's like, yeah, you got a lot of carbon scoring there. And it was like, that's what Luke said when he was prying gunk out of R2 on Tatooine. So there's this little, you know, like, oh, carbon scoring. The first time we heard that was on Tatooine. And it's just like, oh, those. Well, I, I, those MFs, you know, those they're so good at like so good at just taking that one word that you never hear anywhere else. And you're like, well, of course, yeah, carbon scoring. We know what that is. It's that's, you know, blast marks from or blast marks, you know, have we heard blast <laughs> marks get said yet? But carbon scoring, you know, it's like, that's funny that you, um, you picked that up. I didn't it didn't occur to me that that's the only location where that like it's almost like slang common to you know, to that area or something. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I... So going forward. So there, there's this interaction with, with the mechanic and in true Mando fashion, he just stashes the child and assumes, and anybody who's raised a kid knows this is not realistic. 
you can't just leave a young person or 50 or two years old or whatever it is uh, <laughs> alone because they're going to get out. And immediately he, he puts the child in a compartment in the ship and he goes off to find, find another job so he can raise money to pay for the repairs on the ship. And he goes into another bar. Doesn't look to me like the same one that we we see where where Han and Chewie get introduced to Obi Wan and Luke. I don't think it is. It kind of feels. I like think it, it is. is. Is it? Oh you yeah. Think? I, I, I think. I think it is. Yeah. I think it totally is because because they frame the 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 um, well it's not it's not mise en scene it's not within the frame it's it's the same kind of sequence because the first time when they because it's the same the way Luke and Obi Wan walk to the front door and in the in the fir, in in New Hope it's that same kind of they're kind of going across the screen to the right towards the door and in New Hope and then in the special edition you see the do back sitting over by the corner and Jawa sitting on the ground. And then he walks in and then it cuts to a shot where you're kind of lower down in the bar and you're looking up at the entrance, which is like three steps up and Mando walks in by himself and then he, he, he looks out and then it's the same shot looking directly at the uh, closest end of the bar, which I which in a very fine, ironic way is now manned by droid bartenders where when in new hope, when C-3PO walked in, the guy said, no droids allowed. We don't serve their kind here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting how things flipped. And and yet the bar, it, it's full of some interesting characters, but it's not packed the way it was in New Hope. And this was the thing I was mentioning in the last podcast about the balance, about how we go into a familiar setting, but it's like, oh, he's going into the cantina. We're going to see a bunch of new characters like the whatever. And it's like, nope, nope. It's It's just a couple. And it's not we're not we're not going to we're not going to give you the same fan service. We're going to change it up a little bit. And that was a that was a fun little. Yeah. You know, a little tease like. Um, Favreau really, tease. really has done a good job of picking and choosing his spots. Like so, in other yeah. words, the natural tendency, I think, of of someone that would 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 be making this is to try to overdo it. OK, well, we yeah. saw we saw 50 creatures or aliens in it in the scene before this time we're gonna have 75 and it's going to be bigger it's going to be louder it's going to be flashier actually Favreau does just the opposite and he does not overdo it until it's time to overdo it you know what I mean like 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 when the Mandalorian Calvary comes in like everything just goes goes nuts but but the pace of everything is actually pretty uh conservative i don't mean conservative politically i just mean he's you know they're choosing when to go all out which makes those scenes much more effective when the whole thing isn't you know the whole episode can't be crazy it's gotta have peaks yeah. and peaks and valleys to it we get in so we get in there and then the next little the 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 homage fan service kind of thing or the neat like oh how cool is that in my that I liked was, you know, Mando tell he asked the bartender droid, I'm looking for work. It's not guild work. I just, you know, I need some work. And then we meet the gunslinger character who is the young, a young newbie bounty hunter um, who is sitting in the same spot that Han Solo was that the whole Greedo thing went down in. 
and just and as a nostalgic person of just the passage of time and generational cycles just in reality and in film just just i don't know the my inner 12 year old nerd was just like wow like he's sitting in the same spot that han was in let's say nine years earlier where you know he he set in motion his even more of his problems with Jabba, you know, just like the history of that share, pop culture wise, Star Wars lore wise, cinema wise, it's just like, whoa, you know, but there's, you know, and there's no Chewie, there's no nothing. And you're like, and this kid probably doesn't even know, like this character doesn't even know, like this is where the legendary Han Solo, like, you know, this is where he he hung, you know? He wouldn't have been alive at the time that, that, that the first, you know, the first time we see that scene happens. Well, well, let, well, let's see. If this is five years after Jedi, and Jedi is probably <laughs> two or three years after New Hope, would he be? Maybe he'd be like uh, okay, a kid, like five. He's, or probably, six. Yeah, he's probably a young kid, you know. Yeah, he maybe was. He would. probably twenty. What do, what do you think, Dan? Do you think he's like in the episode twenty twenty five? Yeah, early twenties. I mean, he was probably yeah. playing like Pokemon Go or something in the. Door <laughs> <New Hope. laughs> yeah. so. Or what is it? Uh, what, what, oh, what's the name of that chessboard game with the holograms? Was, uh, I want to say Sobak, but that's a card game they play. That's not actually yeah. the... I can't remember, but I know what you're talking about. The hologram chess go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So we have a very unlikely pairing that happens here. The rookie, the gunslinger, who it quit, very quickly betrays that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And, the you know, and Mando, who's been around, seen it all, done it all kind of thing. They team up, and the objective is to capture a mercenary who the gunslinger has a tracking fob on. And they go off in this kind of self-contained adventure. It's almost like in a video game, it's like a different scene that's totally self-contained. It does not really, or as far as we know, does not hasn't been influenced by the other things we've seen yet, and maybe doesn't influence the future scenes. We're not quite sure, but it really had this kind of like self-contained feel to it, which I kind of liked. It was just very, a much simpler story. Okay. Here's a bad guy. We need to go, you know, we need to make some money. So let's go bring her in and, and off they go. And again, a nostalgia factor, the way, the way that they get out into the desert, are on two speeder bikes, which we saw in episode in the prequels that that Anakin rides uh, out when he when he takes out the Sand People and and rides back. It sort of looks like a, a you know like a chopper with these big long forks. Yeah, it's like the chopper Harley of speeder bikes. It's so yeah. But it was a, per- a, it was perfectly I, I, it was perfectly done though. It, like it felt yeah it, it felt like they should be there. Yeah, and it was, and and um, and to 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 yet again do one of my like, uh, you know, marinate in the uh, uh, the the nerd love. I was always a speeder bike guy. I loved speeder bikes, man. So it was like when that happened, I was like, oh, please. And then the fact that they gave you all these wonderful glory shots of them just hauling ass over the desert, like yeah. close up, you know, profile aerial shots they were kind of like yeah like like it was it was like favreau and filoni were like okay let's 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 give the speeder bike kids some like some porn 
you know, and it was like, and I was like, oh man, this is so great. And now with the level of effects, you know, cause we haven't seen speeder bikes since, um, for real since, uh, um, attack of the clones is, um, so what's that like 2002. So now we've got even better CGI and more seamless, uh, blending of whatever it's like, it's even more realistic and they can kind of make it bounce. Right. And you don't get all that weird, excuse me, all that weird motion blur because of the compositing into the effects, whatever, like you're like, yep, yep. That's, that's how cool and fun it must be to be on a speeder bike, especially if you're a Mandalorian and you look that cool. So yeah, I, I love really love it. They have the, uh, what was it called? What they call it? Like the Dune Sea or something on Tatooine. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I like, you know, it's, it's nothing too crazy to look at, but just, you know, being on Tatooine and seeing the Dune Sea and, you know, the huge hills that they're kind of racing across and, I just thought that was really cool, really cool touch. Super cool, and 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 uh, yeah, and like and there again, there's that reference, like the Dune Sea. When do you hear about the Dune Sea? You know, it's like okay, check yeah. that off the list. We we got we mentioned the Dune Sea. Yeah, I didn't even think that's great point, Dan. I didn't even think like like I didn't put that together that they were actually going over the Dune Sea. I thought they mm-hmm. needed to go out near it, but I wasn't thinking, oh, they're they're going through the dune sea like yeah they gotta go back and watch that yeah yeah it's very cool very cool then we see a different take on something that's that's familiar to us that we've seen before which is the sand people and mando i love this part yeah this this was really clever what they did because it's a they just put a different twist on something we already thought we knew and mando sees a couple of banthas way way off in the distance and they stop and he knows that their sand people are right around in the rookie. I call him the rookie because he's a rookie. The gunslinger is kind of all <laughs> posturing and like, well, we're going to show them. We're going to tell them who's boss. And then Mando just simply says, well, why don't you tell them yourself? And he turns and boom, they're right. Somehow the sand people are right on top of these guys without them knowing it. Here's the twist. This really, and again, this really felt like um, you know, stuff that we saw in Outlaw Josie Wales where I don't know how to frame this, but I'll just try to do my best. Where like the indigenous people are given respect. So Mando yeah. doesn't just shoot everybody. He negotiates with them and he's got, you know, he knows their sign language. So of you know, of course he does. Like he he negotiates with the sand people to be allowed to travel over their land. And there's a a really interesting kind of turn of phrase there where, um, where the gunslinger is like, well, we're going to, we're going across our land or something like that. And then Mando quickly cracks them. And he's like, well, to them, it's their land. So give me, yeah. To to them, we're the intruders. Right. It was, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't set that up right, but but I thought it yeah. was a really interesting take on something we already have seen. And it would be very easy to just have them, you know, engage in a scuffle or, or some kind yeah, of fight. fight, but they did it in a very stylish way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you don't, you never see, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you never see the sand people, you know, for that long and just standing still, you know, they've always been represented as just kind of, you know, maniac warriors that just kind of scurry and kill and take whatever they can get. I'm actually reading a book called Obi-Wan. It takes place in between um, Return of the Jedi 
um, actually tells you what happens to Obi-Wan, and he's on Tatooine, and the Sand People, they play a huge part of that book, and it's interesting because it goes into like the mindset of these guys. But um, I love the fact that it just cracked me up that there. He was just kind of like, yeah, hey, tell him yourself. And there's just two sand people just like hanging out, just being like, what's up? And like just standing there waiting for everyone to notice them. And then, uh, yeah, I thought it was really cool that they actually bargained with them and, you know, gave them stuff. And then they're like, all right, you can kind of do your own thing. I thought it was a really cool, really cool touch. Totally. I And, and a, a part, a thing that I really liked about it, that about that scene that also doesn't, it, it's another one of those um backstory blossom bombs that I kind of think of them as like, okay, Mando knew they were there. They didn't go after Mando. Does Mando have history with them? Do they recognize Mando or do they recognize that, oh, this is a Mandalorian. We're not going to mess with them. Yeah. Are these Tusken Raiders that are just like, are they scouts? Like, are they kind of, are, are they more of like, of of their pack are they like two of the more enlightened kind that are just like we're not going to run in guns a blazing we're going to go check it out and you're kind of like okay maybe we get to learn if mando has been there before and how he learned to get in like how he earned their respect for them to not come right at him and right. um uh secondly and uh my my son is uh six and he he's like all about the sand people now so Dan, by the way, does the book tell like he was like, what do they look like underneath there? I'm like, I don't know. No one ever knows. And so I was like, maybe we can look it up on some Wikipedia thing. And does it say in that Obi-Wan book if like if are they humanoid and they they wrap I I we just kind of figured that they've got to wrap themselves in that stuff because they live in the desert in the sun and that's why they've got the tube eyes and the That's exactly know. right. Yeah. And but and then okay. also over the over the years they've been, you know, kind of um their bodies have been ravaged and destroyed by living out in this sun and sand. So, yeah, but you're exactly right. They kind of wrap themselves up. They put these goggles on their faces so they can kind of see far away in the dune sea. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's really, really interesting. I highly recommend it. Yeah, and and, and to that point, what, like, I, you know, I'm um, – is is this a is this a later is this is this one of the novelizations that's now technically Star Wars canon and not the stuff from the '90s that they kind of politely dismissed? Correct. Like, wait, yeah, oh, I can I can send you a version like um the cover a uh, picture of the cover, but it, oh yeah, it's got um what's his name as Obi Wan um Owen? Hugh McGregor on the cover. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I'm just wondering because it's like now that we know Disney, now that we know that Owen is signed on for the Obi-Wan series on Disney, I'll bet we'll get some really cool stuff like that, too. You yeah, know? and um, that's what I was wondering, too, is, you know, because if this book is canon, um, a good majority of it takes place on Tatooine exactly when, like, the Mandarin Mandalorians kind of stopping by. So, wow. very, very interesting. Very cool. Also, you know, for I know for a fact that there's at least seven people somewhere in their basement trying to figure out how to do the sign language of the sand people and use that <laughs> on a day to day basis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. You know what I mean? Like they're going to Wawa and, and just sand people miming the cash register to give. Oh, them yeah, dude. It's, dude oh, dude. It's going to be it's going to be sand people versus Klingons at the at the conventions yeah. like in the next year or two. And um but no, it, it was fun because like we rewound that thing and like you can kind of make out what he's talking about. Like when he does, when he kind of does the karate chops along the arm, I'm like, okay, I think that means we need to go from here to here. 
Yeah. And, you know, like you can kind of, it, it was so neat. Like, you know, someone had to figure it out. And I was thinking, I wonder if they like, someone said, okay, look up 10 different cultural languages, figure out what travel means, figure out what, you know, um, you know, what, what, what's, what's a kind of default universal gesture for would like your permission or blessing, and then mold it into something that will kind of make sense subliminally to the viewers, but still seem kind of uh, exotic. Right. I know, it, it, that was another moment where I was like, damn it, these guys are good. You know, it's just, oh, and uh, real quick, Brian, to your point about the pale rider thing, you reminded me that they did a good job of, like you said, with pale rider, when, when, um, when they're in the cantina and the kid, uh, the gunslinger goes and gets the speeder bikes, they like that had that feeling of an unforgiven, that blonde kid who also wanted to be, you know, a, a badass oh, man. And, Clint, yeah. and, and he was hanging out with, with, with Clint and he was, you know, he's trying to, yeah. like he's feigning having his act together, but then, you, then he kind of has that nervous, whatever, when Clint or Amando kind of sets him straight, like, oh yeah, with a one-liner that kind of, you know, takes the wind out of his sails and makes him realize, yeah, whatever, you don't, you really don't know what you're doing yet, kid. That didn't occur to me, but I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, having the, the rookie and the experienced guy, you know, team up like that, uh, where the, where the rookie is recruiting the veteran, right? Yeah. Is exact, you know, definitely and I don't know who knows if they're borrowing all this stuff from Clint Eastwood, but it, it sure seems like they are, or, or maybe, yeah. maybe we're imagining it, but, um, his Mando's, uh, word choice is much more terse with the yeah. kid. You know, he doesn't talk a lot to that character. And like when he takes his binoculars and throws it to the sand people and the kid protests, he goes, those are brand new. And Mando just goes, yeah, they were. And he, <laughs> and he moved on. So, um, so as they go forward, they negotiate their way across the Dune Sea. They do find the objective and she is captured a little bit awkwardly, but they do get her. And then something happens at the end, which I'm not sure how to interpret, but I'm sure you guys have a good take on this. They capture the bounty, the rookie, um, Double crosses and, and, and real, and real quick for anyone listening, the, yeah. the the objective is this female elite assassin that many people have tried to catch, and this kid wants to prove himself to get into the bounty hunters guild, and that's why he wants Mando to help. And when they were first talking about it, Mando was like, "Kid, you don't know what you're doing because if you knew who you were actually going after, you know, you would be way more scared and less cocky." So they're they're going after like kind of a she's definitely an elite. She she knows what she's doing. And that's that's why Mando decides to help is because it's got to be a two man job because she's got the skills and the prowess to, you know, keep better people than probably even Mando from getting to her. So, yeah. So they they capture they capture this assassin. She and for some some other things happen that we don't even need to get into but the the rookie double crosses the mandalorian which ends up in him getting in the rookie getting shot and i think killed but maybe not we're not quite sure who knows mm-hmm. we'll find out later here's the thing that happens right before the rookie double crosses the mando he shoots 
the assassin. He, we think kills her. It's it's sort of open ended. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And after everything happens, and you know the the story is kind of wrapped up with a bow, and they take off and they go on to the next place. The camera cuts back to the body of the assassin, and two you see two feet. That's all you can see, uh, walking up to her body. But it's never explained who that is. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I, I watched this, I think, three or four times. And my initial reaction was going to be, it, it's got to be Werner Herzog's character from the first episode, the guy who contracts him. Um, but if you listen closely, you actually hear, like, um, you know, almost speaking of Western, like that that clanging, chaining, you know, almost like spare change in your pocket, you know, like that sound of, of like chains. Um Really or like sp- the uh, spurs on a on a pair yeah, of yeah. Thank you. And really, I always associate that with in Star Wars with Boba Fett. I mean, anytime he's seen walking around, heard walking around, you actually kind of hear that um, on his arm or whatever. But wow, good observation. Yeah, but I also know that the creators are kind of it's too easy. I think that would be too yeah. easy for them to have. Then oh, here's Boba Fett. So. Um, I actually think it might be. I I never watched the show, and everyone yells at me for it. But I know that they um, casted somebody from Breaking Bad, who's going to be in this show. Um, I think it's the older guy. Um, I can't remember his name, but apparently he plays a pretty big part in this series, and I think that's going to be the introduction for this character. Interesting. Sense. And I don't, I've actually got it I, pulled up. I want to watch that footstep scene again because there, there is because there is a, I've got because it, it's like, that's a great point because there it, it is a long cape that's coming down behind the legs. Right, right. And, and I uh, don't want to be. I don't want to have it happen that Boba Fett was not killed in Return of the Jedi. Like that's it's too easy. Like if if you kill a character. That's it. Don't bring him back. It's not. I don't know. I think that's. It would yeah. be a. It would be a bummer if, like, all of a sudden he's he's still alive and now. Well, I know, I know for, and I don't know. I think this is Rakan's when Disney bought him out. So I don't know where it stands now. I'm sure somebody else could probably answer for me. But it was in lore that he actually escaped the Sarlacc pit. Like that was. Yeah, that was, like they wrote that, and that actually supposedly happened. That he escaped the Sarlacc pit, like pretty beat up, but escaped it. And I think at one point ended up at Han Solo's wedding. <laughs> like what? that's that's where they went with it. Like he he escaped the Sarlacc pit, and then threw Han Solo a great bachelor party and went to their wedding. <laughs> well, I'm not even kidding. That was like Star Wars lore for a while there. Well, because I because I, I was telling Brian in a past episode about uh, the novelizations and Dan, did you ever read the um that three those three paperbacks called the Bounty Hunter Wars? I and read. Was, I started reading. I never actually finished them either. If, it, it's if if you f- finish them because when you get to the third one, it it it's a super great kick ass wrap up. Like mm-hmm. it, like you come out of it going, yep, that's why Boba Fett is the baddest of everybody. Um, I'm actually like freeze framing that last scene and they did a awesome job to make us hate them. Um, the person who walks up to the, to, to the, to the body, they kneel down for a second. So you get like one frame and you can see that there is a gun holster on the right. 
But yeah. I don't see those. I don't see those uh, ammo clips around the top of their boot gauntlet. So I don't know if it's a Mandalorian. I don't think it's. I'm not sure if it's Boba. But then you know, it's later. Boba could have a cape. You know, yes, he could exactly. have a long one. So, yeah. All that good questions. Cool. We will see. Tune in next week. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll find. We'll find out. Uh, it's. It, you know, I've really been pleasantly surprised how just how good this is. And it really has erased a lot of the um, the weirdness that surrounded episode eight. And people's I think people have forgotten a little bit of their dissatisfaction uh, with that film. Um, what, what did you guys think of episode eight? Last Jedi? Yeah, eh. I, I, I really I really liked it. I don't I don't go back and and. Sometimes I go back to, you know, to put it on just as background because I'm like, oh, I want to go. I want to look at some cool stuff. I usually put on Rogue One. I, yeah. I like putting on Solo, man. Like I go back and every time I, I watch Solo, I just like, man, this was fine. It was fun. It was like they everybody did what they were supposed to do. And now that we don't have to expect like, is he going to act like Harrison Ford? Is he going to be? What, why doesn't he? You know, whose voice has got too much tinniness to it? He's not tall enough. It's like, dude, it's he nailed all of the isms he needed to. He's yeah. just not genetically the same guy like that Canadian dude that everyone was saying on YouTube should be it, who can do Harrison Ford impressions and has the same cheeks and the same lips and whatever. It's like, well, if that guy was that great of an actor that could handle a studio film, they might have talked to him, you know. <laughs> It's, it's a it's minor like, yeah. detail, you know, yeah. you, have, you have to be able to act. Um, I remember, I remember, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Episode eight, I was a little bit lukewarm on, no pun intended. Um, just, I, I don't know. I'm going to reserve my, my opinion until I see nine. Cause maybe nine cleans up eight a little bit. I mean, but that's who knows. We'll, we'll, we'll all find out. I was very indifferent. I didn't know how I felt. Like I remember walking out of force awakens and my body was like, it's the same thing as new hope. And I was like, well, I really liked it. Like it was, a, you know, I, I, I loved it. I was, I was completely hopeful for the future of star Wars. And then when walking out of last Jedi, I was just kind of like, huh, what, what just, what just happened? I think, you know, um, and then I rewatched it and I'm just kind of the same thing. It's, you know, it's, it's there for me. It's, I, I was less impressed and it was, it left, it left me less excited than before. Um, but you know, it was different. I was, you know, they kind of took a chance, which I appreciate on certain things and certain characters. Um, but I guess overall it was kind of a letdown for me. I think the solo movies, I think solo and rogue one have been my favorite so far. Yeah, I yeah. think I agree. Well, and this is, this is part of the problem with 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 the ma- like with the major films when you look back to the originals, you know, the the six that Lucas did, you know, there was a unifying philosophy underneath all of them. They were all informed by, you know, we know well documented about Joseph Campbell and the power of myth and and how that all kind of uh informed the six movies that came originally. Here you've got three movies written by different people. Uh, it's not clear if there was an if there was an arc across. I don't think there was seven eight nine. It does not seem like there was. No. I think I think the what was the director's name of uh, Last Jedi again? What's his name? Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I feel like he walked in. He was like, "Okay, cool, thanks, dude." To JJ, and then was like, "Yeah, all right, I'm gonna have a casino planet. 
I'm going to have these weird horse things. Like, he just kind of, like, went and did his own thing. He's like, all right, at the end, I'm just going to have some kid, you know, force grab a broom. So that'll be cool. But, yeah. like, um, you know, I feel like there wasn't, like, it was somewhat of a story still there. But, like, for the most part, like, I felt like it was kind of, there was no unified vision of, like, okay, cool, you can do your own thing. But this is where we need to go with it. I just felt like he like walked in, was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do my own thing." Kylo Ren's gonna have his shirt off. It's gonna be great. Yeah. See, I, I, the, the, the thing that it was that I wish Last Jedi, like the stuff that was really cool and solid and meaty in that kind of Rogue One Mandalorian way, I, or or Force Awakens way, I really loved. And it's like I just like when the whole horse race thing through the town i was like man like like, like they, they could have gotten across the whole like yeah there's you know people are profiting off of both sides thing and it just i don't know i, I mean did brian was was the director the guy that was like i want an obviously cgi horse chase for the kids or was that lucasfilm saying that and he was like okay i guess we'll do that because i was like no come on everybody knows that that's whatever and obviously everyone is responding to the rogue one and the mandalorian and mostly solo you know non-cgi creatures running around or like obi-wan on the lizard thing in revenge of the sith you know it's just like it so like if, if they would have if, if there could be like a a recut where they don't have that i yeah. liked all that i liked all the heavy think piece stuff about the jedis and and ray and kylo talking to each other and 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 getting to 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 bathe in wow now luke is an old long-haired jedi master yeah, you know? uh, yeah I, 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 he did. I like curmudgeon, curmudgeon luke yeah I, and i know people that were hating on that i'm like no it's great because he was still it, they, he like when every time i go back and watch it I, I appreciate more how good of an actor Hamill is and how good he really knows Luke's thing. Like Luke has got that bratty Anakin thing. Like, you know, like, well, I was going to go to Taji station to get the power converters, you know, like that people laugh at when you see it on the big screen anymore. Cause they, they celebrate <laughs> the whiny kid. They're like, they know that line's coming. You're like, wow, he's just, he's kind of whiny. And, um, when, and, and, and like, and you guys ever see the deleted scenes when, when Luke, goes into Tashi station and he actually sees his friends and he sees Biggs and Biggs tells him about going to the rebellion. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yes. A long they, time they, ago. They, yeah. Yeah. That really re when you watch this again, it really reinforces that Luke is kind of like the little, the, the little, um, the little ankle biter dog to his friends. He's like, Hey, well, let's, well, let's go do this. Oh, whatever. And they're like, okay, whatever, dude. And he's yeah, like, like oh, the little oh, annoying oh. brother. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And he's, um, so, the, the fact that he's seen all this stuff and he's done it and it kind of like it kind of comes out in his old curmudgeon Jedi thing. Like when he's like when he gets fed up, he brats out. And but then when he decides to work with her, like one of my favorites, I thought that was one of the genius things when she's sitting on the rock and he's touching her with the wispy thing. And he's like, oh, you feel it? You feel it? Whatever. Like he's you're like, OK, he could still be, you know, he, he's. He's he's doing a good job of like kind of giving her some some shit. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just I loved that. That was like I, I I would have loved even more of that. This is this is related to nothing that we just talked about, except for <laughs> except for episode eight. And you said yeah. when you said extra material, this is this made me think of this. I've been meaning to tell you guys this. 
if you check out, so for the Snoke character, it's Andy Serkis. Yeah. In a motion capture suit. Mm-hmm. But he performed, like he performs the role. He performs the scenes. Yeah, I heard about this. Go, go look at that and tell me you almost would rather have it just be Andy, just the guy playing the role yeah. instead of the CGI version of Snoke. He is so yeah. good. I, I, you get kind of lost in, in, in the CGI stuff, but when you go see him perform the scenes, um, well worth your time. It's only like three or four minutes or five minutes of material, but it's if you, I guess, if you have it on iTunes or if anybody has DVDs anymore, I have no idea. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. Go Thanks for the it. reminder. I've yeah, always yeah. been in this. Look at those. Yeah, well worth your time. So. Well, I know, I know, and and the Andy Circus is he's actually hardcore pushing for an Oscar um, category for CGI motion cap. You know what I mean? Like, because it's you know it's yeah. a performance. It absolutely is a performance. Um, so I know he's like the go-to guy for CG motion cap. I mean, Planet of the Apes alone is amazing because of him. Yep. But yep. Um, I don't understand why they wouldn't just have. Have yeah, just have him to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, just After, I always felt like the Emperor was always a creepier, you know, badass villain because it was a person that obviously was completely torn apart and melted because of the the dark side, essentially. So, yeah. you know what I mean? I didn't I didn't care about this guy who had a weird shrunken, you know, he was had a weird piece of his skull missing, and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He, yeah, he kind of reminded me of a janitor from my old grade school, so I never found him too terrible. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what would, can, do you mind sharing the name of the janitor? Did he have like a, like, was he like Mr. Tony or something like well, that? Well, we called him Mr. Jones, you know, Mr. And he'd always be, Mr. Jones would be in the hallway after, you know, getting out of the cafeteria and he'd be like, I can sense the anger in you. I'm like, all right, Mr. Jones, I gotta get it. I gotta get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's oh, awesome. Man. Well, we've, I think we've covered what we needed to cover with five. So everybody, thanks for listening. And we have links to Dan Bradley in the show notes and nice. and on all the platforms that you're, you're viewing this on. So just click the links, hook up with Dan, follow him on Facebook. And um, we will be back after chapter six comes out, which is this Friday. And we will, uh, we will continue. So thanks for listening, everybody. And Dan and David, thank you again for being awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody be cool. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. For updates about future podcast episodes, essays, or live events, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. That's CREATOR to 66866. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. CREATOR Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.